Check out Sport Calgary's This Week in Sport for the latest news and updates in Calgary's sports community. Hey kids, uh, how are you holding up? It's July. Uh, I am your podcasting pal, Rob Kerr. Uh, we have slowed down another notch here in the summertime. Uh, putting out a podcast a week, we hope. Uh, there's lots to go back and, and visit on, over 50 that we've done uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic uh, pause began. So lots of conversations. Uh, we've got some good ones coming up. But I want to let you know that you can always check them out on uh, Spotify or Apple uh, Podcasts and and subscribe and and listen. And there's all kinds of great material out there, including today's conversation. And full disclosure, a friend of mine and a guy I actually work with, uh, with the Calgary Hitman, Jeff Chenouth, the general manager of the Calgary Hitman, of the Chenouths, if you will, of Calgary. Ed Chenouth, the longtime uh, I guess commissioner president of the uh, Western Canadian Hockey League, the Western Hockey League, then the Canadian Hockey League, and uh, they would become owners of the uh, Edmonton Ice, which would become the Kootenai Ice. Uh, Jeff has gone full circle, uh, has worked as a stick boy for the Wranglers in the old uh, corral, worked with the Calgary Flames in the old corral, and then into the Saddle Dome. So lots and lots and lots of fingerprints all over uh, hockey in our community with the Chanel's. And we'll revisit that with my friend Jeff. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Before we get to that, uh, do you want the latest in Sport Calgary updates in one place? Sign up for Sport Calgary's newsletter for the latest monthly updates sent straight to your inbox. Sign up at sportcalgary.ca. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my friend and yours, a conversation with Jeff Chanel's. Just for the sake of keeping continuity in this program, what have the last three, four months been like for, you know, a hockey executive, someone in your shoes, you know, a leader, as it were? I mean, the, the, you know, you, we've seen hockey lockouts and labor issues before, but this kind of pause in sport is so unique. Well, I think at the start, I think everybody in all businesses, is, it was kind of a novelty. It's kind of different. And I don't think we realized the severity of it. You know, like we kind of came into work on a Monday and we were told Monday afternoon that Tuesday was going to be our first day working from home in March. Uh, I, I thought it was enjoyable at the start. Uh, I thought it was productive. You could get a lot of work done, uh, you know, because as you know, working in the Saddle, it's a very busy building and there's mm. lots of people there in, in, in smaller condensed quarters. So uh, working from home, I found it to be very productive early on. Uh, I did like a lot of things we did as a Western Hockey League. Uh, first thing was our, our annual Bantam draft, which usually takes place you know, live. Uh, this year was scheduled for May and Red Deer was moved up to April and we did it online. And I think it was a resounding success, so much so that I, you know it's been passed for next year. I think those are some of the positives that come out of the negative is, yep. you know, I think as the Western Hockey League, we've looked at everything as all businesses do and where can you save some money uh, and and not lose the professionalism and the credibility that you've built up over time. So I, I think for me, that was a positive. Um, you know, we've, we've been actually quite busy. You know, we've signed four players, uh, which is a, is a lot really, uh, in a short period of time. So we, we, we're productive. We got a lot of things done as I tell everybody, this is our normal off season. And, you know, in the business department, you're selling, this is a busy time, but in the hockey, you get past the import draft, really all you're planning towards is the training camp in late August on a normal year Mm. and dealing with. Uh, you know, you're dealing with, you know, kids and parents and agents and all that little stuff, which is still going on right now. 
but really this is kind of a slow time in a normal year. Well, that answers my next question because I was going to ask you, uh, certainly at the NHL level, there's, you know, there's summer hockey, right? There's the World Junior Camps, there's the Ivan Halinka and things like that. But at your level, Jeff, had that that kind of fusion of 12-month-a-year hockey impacted scouting or anything that you might have done? You could if you wanted to, Rob. I mean, you, you can find hockey anywhere you want nowadays. <laughs> and uh, well, Maybe not nowadays, but before the yeah, pandemic. Yeah is that, you know, you've got the provincial camps that lead up to the, uh, you know, the under-17s, not the under-17s, but the under-16s. And, you know, each each province has their own camp to get down in numbers. And so if you wanted to, you could go 12 months a year. I really believe that I'm not a big proponent of summer hockey. You and I have spoken about this before. I think kids need a break. I think scouts need a break. I think you watch kids so much sometimes you can become negative on those players. So it's nice to give them a break and ourselves a break as well. And then when we do come back, you know, you're re-energized. And, and kids change a lot, especially when they're that age, and, you know, how much they grow and, you know, mature and all that. So it's kind of nice where you give a break and you're like, oh, boy, little Johnny grew six inches. And, boy, is he a, he's a different player. Or that goaltender, I didn't realize he was that good. I mean, you know, all the little things, the intangibles, it's, so I think it's important in our business and in the hockey side to have a break from it because I think you can, you can be all consumed about it too many times. Do you have you developed a new skill? Have you have you become proficient at something through this that maybe you weren't before? Are you more, I, I guess, more adept at medical terms or anything like that? I actually, the only thing I'm really good at is I know what uh, WebEx calls are now, <laughs> and, and and I can set those up. And now that I'm, they've set me up in the IT department for that, uh, you know, and, and I thought I'd be curious to get your thoughts mm-hmm. on that. Uh, you know, you do a lot of them and it's, you know, I, I enjoyed it at the start, but I miss, you know, I miss seeing that everybody face to face. I miss that camaraderie and, you know, the little shots that we have fun right. with everybody in our office. I, I, and I think we said, we've talked about it many times. We've got a close knit group between the hitmen and the roughnecks. And I think that's a you know reflection of our boss Mike Board's passed down through yourself and Melissa Blades and myself and Mike Board. I think we've got a good group of people, and I and I mean that sincerely. I, I you know I worked for my own for so many years, and this is just starting my third year now or fourth season, but third year <laughs> yeah. in Calgary. And it's uh, I, I miss the people. I really miss the people. I don't. I, to your point, I don't think it 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 fixes that i don't think it it takes the place of those types of meetings i think the nuance the little things the casual conversations are still so important the one thing that i think will come out of this is that this is a, a viable option to connect with fans so rather than having to book a room book a guest come up with a date find and work i think this would this technology could be used to to kind of connect a team to its fans better down the road in, in short bursts. I agree. I, I think the flames have done a phenomenal job with those, you know, uh, cast for the fans and sweet holders to talk to John Bean and to talk to Brad Tree living. I think that's important. And I think it's, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's something that we can do. And also with the other teams in CSEC, because again, we always want to connect. Our fans want to know they're passionate. That's why they are our fans. Yep. And I think the more information we can give them, the better. And I think as we come out of this, I think this is a this is a platform that we can use our players to do a lot more. And I just think I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's a you know one of the positives out of a negative. It it it, it is. Um, what do you? 
when you look back at your history in the game, Jeff, there is no equivalent. I mentioned before labor stoppages, but certainly have you ever have ever come across anything that's been a challenge like this? No, I, and I hope I never do again, Rob. I think mm. there's like for everybody on that. I mean, again, I, I just, I didn't, you never think, you know, we think we're invincible. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that's just, that's the way we're, we're, we're ingrained. You know, we're not invincible. And this is showing us, uh, kicked us right in the, you know what. And again, I think it's been a good reality check for all of us. I think sometimes you need these things, maybe not as severe as this, to kind of look in the mirror and where where can you reset some stuff. So I like to look at it as a positive where, you know what, there are some areas that, you know what, geez, you know what, we can we can we can get leaner and still be meaner in the whole thing. And I, I think again, I hate using the line a negative into a positive, but I think you know, a good reset is always nice to have too. You've been at that that upper level of of you know organization from the league and the and even the CHL perspective. Did do we now have to plan for this? Do we now have to um, build this into contingencies? Build this into agreements? Build this into if this were to happen? I mean, it's never happened in our lifetime, but do we now you know have to have pandemic type planning in place? Oh, I think so. I think right off the bat on individual contracts, you'll hear those words force majeure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I never heard the word in my life, no. Rob, until about five years ago. And uh, be longer than that. We were doing the last lease in Kootenay and our lawyer in Edmonton did it. We did it for the city of Cranbrook and he explained it to me. And I'm like, no, okay. Never had heard about it before. I've heard that word quite <laughs> yeah. a bit since March 17th. And I, I think that's the thing. I think you're going to have some wording and contracts will be a lot different. I think there's, you know, again, who thought that this would ever happen? No. And now it's like anything. It could happen again. So, you know, you, I, I, there's going to be something in there. I don't know what that wording will be in a lot of things, but, uh, you know, it'll be, there'll be something in there. Some lawyer will make some money off. You miss being an owner? No. No, and, and I say that in, in all due respect. Uh, I had, Our family owned Kootenay from 1995 to 2017, the uh, first few years in Edmonton, and then we moved to Cranbrook in 98. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it was uh, fortunate. We had success. We won three championships, uh, one Memorial Cup. Uh, you know, it, those are things that you can never take back. And in a small town, I used to say, you were the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. You were the big fish. I mean, everyone knew who your players were and everyone knew. But by the end, Rob, I think that, you know, I really believe that, you know, we'd won so much early. You know, we made the playoffs in 17 straight years, 16 to 500 or better, which was a, is a league record. I, I say this, I think they expected that. And as you know, in junior hockey, there's a new wave coming all the time. Yeah. And it's a cyclical business. And, you know, we avoided that that downturn for 17 years. At the end, we didn't. And then I take full ownership on that because I made some bad trades. But I, I think that by the end, you know, the, the ten, attendance has dwindled. Uh, my mom had lost her interest. You know, she actually wanted to sell in 2011. Uh, and when we won our last championship, she just thought that it was time. Sure. And it was me. It was me who kind of said, no, no, I think, you know, a few more years. So mom knows best. I was wrong. And uh, by the end, you know, and I, I say it honestly, six figure cash calls and six figure losses. You know, we, we were a mom pop shop mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, our businesses in our league has gotten bigger and, uh, and, and we just couldn't compete anymore. And I think that, 
it was a good run and it was great uh, to move on from that. And then, you know, for me, Rob, uh, personally, to get hired by the Hitman uh, was like a dream come true for me. Even though it was our biggest rival, I was a Calgary, born and raised in Calgary, not born, but raised in Calgary. Yeah. My wife's family's there. Uh, kicked, kicked off, uh, checked off so many boxes personally. And to be able to come here and learn in a different atmosphere, I mean, you, sometimes you get stagnant when you're in a place for a long time. And, you know, I came here and I remember the late Ken King saying to me, your biggest adjustment is going to be coming to work in the corporate world. And I'm thinking, I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and he was bang on. It was, the, it was the biggest adjustment, time management, and dealing with so many people in a condensed area where we had eight people in Cranbrook. So, you know, it was a little bit different. So it was a great learning experience to come, and it's it's been a great run. And we want to win another championship. I mean, that's never going to change, Rob. I, I have that competitive juice that I'll never lose. I want to win. I want to win for the owners of the Calgary Flames. I want to win for our staff, and, uh, I, you know, and I, and I do. And that, I'm never going to lose that. Some people lose that when they, they win and they get lose the fire. Yeah. I want to win more than ever because I'm the opposite. You know, I look at the New England Patriots. I love the Patriot way. You know, they win. They're consistent every year. You know, it's gonna you got to go through Foxborough at some time. Well, I want that to be with the Hitman because that's the way. You know, that's the way we were in Kootenay, and hopefully, we can do that in Calgary over time. As long as you're not asking me to videotape other teams' practices, I'm in. Um, well, I think we'll get Bernie to do that. We can get Bernie to do that, and then he could sell that. He could sell that. Yes. And, uh, yeah, you know. Bernie Baynock <laughs> drop in there. Uh, okay, so two things that come out of that. One, because you'll appreciate this. The, the, the Basically, fandom, and especially with the advent of sports talk media and social media, is we want to th- put ourselves into the place of owner. If I was in charge, this is what I would do. What's the biggest... You know, you might have alluded to, it, but what's the biggest misunderstanding about the ownership of of a minor pro team? Well, I think the biggest thing is is people in you know they think you're making money hand over fist, and uh, you know your costs are exactly the same as the Calgary Hitmen as they were with the Kootenai Ice. You know, you still have your travel costs, and you still have the you know, and and people like they have no idea like if you went out to BC, the cost of that trip. You, you know, your expenses. I don't think people realize it's big business. Yeah. And I mean, and we operate on the smallest operating budget in the league. And for, for well, we did until the time we left. Again, that's to me the biggest myth is everyone thinks that, oh, making money hand over fist. Well, you have just as big the same bills as they do in the large markets. And, uh, you know, and I mean, that's fine. And I love the passion, Rob. That's one mm-hmm. thing about social media and the passion and you know you got to have thick skin as an owner because you're not going to please everybody as you and i know but i love that passion it's just i used to on the flip side is i don't go into your your legal office and tell you that why are you charging so much per hour like when people complain about ticket prices or you're a dentist well you're above fee guide uh you know people aren't afraid to voice their you know on ticket prices and other things like that but you have your costs. You have your costs. And I think that that was the biggest myth that people, you know, especially almost in any place that they see a big crowd, oh, Chinook's making money hand over fist and not giving back to the community. Well, you know, it's easier said than done. And I mean, that to me was a big, that, that that's the biggest misconception that's out there for me personally. Do you think, is it, I've never understood why the 49th parallel seems to be this border between 
uh, success of minor pro sports, and I, I include the Western League in minor pro sports in Canada, it's probably the most successful. I mean, we've had minor league baseball, you know, through tr- startups of soccer. Now CPL may be working, but it, would it have been e- Is it easier to be an owner in the United States when it comes to minor pro sports? Do you think? I, I don't know if it is anymore. I, I think it's. Uh, I don't think it's. I mean. You know, 20 years ago, it was a lot easier. And yeah. I remember having discussions with former players and we're sitting at my brother's place in Montana and uh, Tre- Trevor Linden, who, you know, obviously sure. know the great Vancouver Canuck, and he had a place down there. We're talking about ownership and this and that. And, you know, your costs, just like in any business, just continue to rise, you know, and, and to the leagues, you know, the player experience, making sure that we had webcasting, making sure that, you know, the quality and all the little things, the acrylic boards, the glass, the score clocks with the video boards, you know, that our league continued to grow to be, you know, the best development league in the world as they as we as we announce and all everything we do. And and I think Rob, you know, it just became bigger and bigger business. Yeah. You know, you looked around the table, you know, right near the end, I looked around the table and 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 you know, you asked me earlier about ownership and you know everything. I looked around and I didn't fit anymore. You know, you had uh, the owners of the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oil Kings, you know, or the Oilers, sorry. Then you had the Dallas Stars and Tom Gillardy. You had Bill Gallagher in Portland. You had the conglomerate in the Regina that still owns the Pats. Some very, like, there's a lot of successful people. There wasn't as many mom-pop shops like the Daryl Mazers and Brent Mazers in Medicine Hat, mm-hmm. Kelly McCrimmons, you know, Brent Sutters. You know what I mean? It was yeah. more becoming a big business. And that was one of the things that, you know, I remember telling my mother, I just said, you know what, I think it's time. I think it's time. It's just, it's getting to be too big a business. And, and, and how do you compete with that? How do you compete with that over the long run? And I mean, I think it's tough being an owner at any level. I really do. I, I don't think it's just minor sports, but I think it was easier 10 to, I'm not even saying 10, it's 15, 20 years ago yeah. than it is today. Yeah. And it's funny because that timeline would fit too, for me, anecdotally, was when I was just kind of getting exposed to the game, there sure seemed to be a lot of interest because in Calgary we know you know it was a boom, it was a lot of money. Boy, there seemed seemed to be more owners than teams at that point. Oh, for sure, and I mean, and, and it was funny how many owners like over the time that we dealt with. There's a lot of tire kickers out there, Rob. And, oh, I bet uh, you know, and and we went through it, and I mean, we tried to sell that team for five years. You know, it didn't take, it didn't just happen overnight. And, you know, we, we were close on a few things and then it fell through. And I mean, oh yeah, there's always something about sports mm-hmm. does something to people. And again, it goes back to that question. If you ran your business, like you run your sports team, your business wouldn't ha- would be successful and you couldn't afford the sports team. And I mean, you know, it's a lot of people get into it for the wrong reasons. They, they're, 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 they're lack of a better word, they're jock sniffers. That's what they do. They get yep. into the, the, the into it for the wrong reasons, and I mean, I, that's the biggest thing is, especially for me in my 35 years in the Western Hockey League, I've seen that happen more than on one occasion. Guys coming in, and they think it's this and that, and it's like, I'm not even close. They were so out in left field, and you know, in fairness, the Western Hockey League's done a way better job over time, like every league does with due diligence. You know, when they're you know getting down to the ownership stage, but yeah, at the start there were some interesting. Uh, 
people in our league. Well, no, it just it's to me it's always been that allure. Like it's it's sexy to be a you know if I ever if I won the lottery I'd buy this team or that team. Sort of that that's always that common refrain, but. You've lived it. You you know what it's all about, and and the the actual hockey decisions, the actual things that'll impact, you know, an on ice product for years to come are so few and far between with the the day to day actual operations, right? Oh, I agree. I, I agree. It's it's something that again I I enjoyed. The, the hockey stuff was my relief. The hockey stuff was my relief, but I had to turn the hockey off and go right to business. You know, because we were a small market yeah. team, and I, I, the hockey was the best part. I mean, you know, I, I always say the hockey, Rob, it's like being a dad or a parent, I mm-hmm. should say. You know, you get those kids at 15, they're wide-eyed, and then they're nervous. They can, you know, have trouble speaking, you know, just because they're quiet, they're, they're shy. And we, we, we mold them, and you've seen it so well over the years when you were working in with hockey, but now, especially with our kids and how special our group of players were this year, and we're very lucky. We have a really good group. That's to me is the best is they mature when yeah. they leave at 20 and, and then down the road, geez, they go on to university and they become a teacher or a dentist, a lawyer, a pilot, whatever. Not just the guys that play hockey. They're easy. You know what I mean? That's been their goal. But I like the ones that where the light goes on and geez, you know what? They realize I'm not going to be the next Connor McDavid. Maybe it's time for me to get on with the real world. And I'll just I'll tell you a side story. The other day we had some people at the house uh here and there was a bunch of them they'd all used the western hockey league scholarship plan and they all different universities throughout canada mm-hmm. and they raved about it and different organizations obviously it wasn't just kootenai or calgary and i just i thought to myself you know what that's why we put that in that's why my dad went to the owners years ago and said you know what we have to improve the player experience and just to see those kids talk about coming out of it with a degree no debt and you know ready for the next phase of their life and i i just that that rob there's nothing more rewarding as a general manager for me personally right is to see that yeah we want to win a more memorial cup absolutely hockey wise that's first but you know we're grooming young men for down the road you mentioned your dad your dad was part owner of the calgary wranglers wasn't he in the mid 80s yeah uh, late uh, 7980 7980 okay he resigned uh from the Western Hockey League, and him and the late Jim Morley, uh, they bought the Wranglers, or my dad joined in with the Wranglers. He was the GM. Doug Sutter was the coach. And uh, anyways, he was stepping down. And if I remember right, I, I might have this wrong, they hired somebody, but it didn't work out. And by halfway through that first year, Ed was spending all his time back at the Western Hockey League office, and then he went back in for 80-81. So, uh, yeah, we, our family, we grew up with the hockey business. I mean, we grew up... Mm-hmm through this whole time and i mean it's it's been a it's been a great run and it's something i would never change and for anything i just I, i've wanted to work in the western hockey league since i was a little kid and i've achieved a goal of mine and it's something that uh, hasn't gotten old as i got older so did what now you would have been a wee lad at that point but did that little taste of ownership did that set the table for what was going to come was that always the end goal to get back to that for the family uh, no, I think as Ed went on, as he was getting back into the mid-90s, I think Ed was reaching a point where, you know what, I had uh, been involved uh, for a long time with, uh, I guess I started in Medicine Hat. I th- no, I started in Spokane. I'm sorry, Rob. 86, 87, I started in Spokane. Went to Medicine Hat in 87, 88. Went to Brandon, 88, 89. 89, 91, I was in... Um, Lethbridge, and then 91 to 95, I was the first employee I ever hired for the Red Deer Rebels. So 
I think near the end of that, I don't know this for sure, was never discussed, and unfortunately can't with my dad having passed away. I think he wanted to work together. I think it was a family, I think it was a goal of his is, you know, that I'd earned my stripes with four different organizations, with four great organ, like owners and yep. general managers. What a great learning experience for myself as a young guy. And I think he was looking for a change and we went to Edmonton. Well, that didn't work out. We lost a lot of money. We played in a bad building. We were a bad hockey team as most expansion teams are. And in, on the sidebar, it was buy the Oilers, it was save the Oilers, it was move the Oilers. It was so many things that were out of our control. Uh, Northlands uh, used to own 25% of that hockey team. I don't know if you knew that as the Edmonton Ice. And they were going to build a brand new 8,000 seat facility for the B and C concerts. Yep. You know, there are not enough A events for the, the Northlands, the, 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 the Rexall place, the big building. So they wanted to build a smaller building so they could house a hockey team, which would have been the Edmonton Ice and then have the other concerts. Well, they got themselves, you know, financial difficulties and they had to back out. And then that just added to everything. And then we were caught in no man's land. Where are we gonna go? <laughs> and we ended up going to Cranbrook. We played in the old building with 1500 seats. So 1,701 to be exact, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. And we, uh, we played there with two years and we had to play the first year and they had to have a referendum to pass on a new building. And they passed it. I think it was 54%. It was close. It was a contentious issue. And they built the, the Cranbrook Recplex, which is a great facility for the community. Probably a little bigger than it should be in a community that size. And the rest is history. And I, I think that, you know, Ed wanted, going back to your question, is, you know, he wanted to work together. I think it was his goal all along to see what my brother Dean, my younger brother, who's assistant coach with the Carolina Hurricanes right now, what's his long term? Maybe all three of us would work together. Sure. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't come to fruition. But I mean, we, I, I can tell you, Rob, I, I had the best 14 years of my life. I got to work with my best friend, my dad. Yeah. And it's something I will tell people. I, I will never forget it. It was, it was education 101 every day. And uh, again, it was, it was something that I'll never forget. And it's a, definitely a highlight of my life. You, you don't really know your father at, at any other kind of role then as a leader in hockey, right? Because, you know, he was the head of the Western Canadian Hockey League, which became the WHL, and for a long time, almost 20 years, the head of the CHL. Um, he, you really didn't know him in any other light, did you? No, he was, but he was, he was, and again, and people forget this, he was building the CHL and WHL. My mom really raised my brother my dad was always down east, you know, traveling, and, yep. you know, with Dave Branch and Gilles Corteau and trying to get the CHL, you know, unified and all the things and building the national sponsorships and the packages that you know, a lot of them are still in place today. And, and I think, you know, my mom deserves a lot of the credit. I mean, she raised us because he was traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. And but at the same time, he wasn't an absentee, absentee dad to us. Uh, he was involved. He loved coaching baseball with my brother and I. Uh, we played a very, very competitive baseball and he was a coach and, you know, always gave back. So it wasn't like, you know, we didn't see him. It's just that, you know, he was gone a lot early on. And so that's why it was so great as we got older, you know, we, my wife and I had kids, my, my brother had a daughter. So he got to spend some time with his grandkids in a different light and it was perfect. He got to do things, you know, because he had slowed down. We had, you know, kind of taken over the business and he could go to Phoenix to visit his friends he could do whatever he wanted. And you hope that we all hope to get to that point in our lives at some point. And he unfortunately was cut short when he got kidney cancer and passed away in 2008. 
It's interesting you bring up baseball because um, there is that late 70s, early 80s is a very interesting time in Calgary for me in terms of sports. And it was still fairly small. Um, One of the previous guests on this podcast, Ron Rook, when he was on, mentioned, geez, I didn't get a chance to talk about playing baseball with Jeff Schnauth and, you know, how everybody's dad was involved and coached and everything like that. It was a you hate to use the word simpler time or better time, but it was different. It was a smaller city at that point. No question about it. And you bring up Ronnie coached us. He coached me in baseball. He coached my brother in football. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we grew up in Lake Bonavista and, and it was just, you're right. It was a different time. Yeah. It was a different time. And it was, you know, I, it, it was a lot of fun to, to, to grow up and, and have the different sports. And, you know, Rob, I think that's one thing that I think you and I've talked about before is I look at things nowadays and, you know, I, those are athletes in my world. Athletes are people that play different sports and do different things. Unfortunately, in our world today is you're specialized. You might be a gymnast, yeah. you might be a basketball player, you might be a, a track and field athlete, you're a hockey player. That's, you know, rarely do you go outside that box like you used to. Like, you know, hockey was over, you played lacrosse, you played soccer, you played baseball, whatever your choice was. You know, you did that. You went on vacations. You know, nowadays, these athletes in all walks of life, they, they train 12 months of the year. And, and I think sometimes I think we miss that. I, oh, I think yeah. that that's one thing that's missing. And again, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but I, I always compare it to, we used to have golf tournaments when I first started in this league. And some of our players were real good players, golfers, that is. And anyways, as we went on, on in my career, and I, near the end in Cranbrook, when we had our golf tournament, we had some of the worst golfers I've ever seen in my life. Like, I mean, and I'm not a great golfer by any stretch, but my point is they play hockey all the time. They never have time for anything else. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, to your question, I mean, like it was a different time and we were busy. We were enjoying things and, you know, no social media, no, you know, you weren't worrying about everything all the time. It wasn't as hustle, fast paced and hustle and bustle like it is today. Because of who your father was, um, you were exposed to a lot of different people with profile, right? You mentioned Doug Sauter. You you were a stick boy for the Wranglers. You must have been around some really interesting people growing up, and it must have seemed so normal, right? Well, I was again, I was infatuated with the Western Hockey League to start with. Yeah. I mean, the great coaches, Ernie McLean. Yeah. You know, you think back to Ernie McLean, Ken Hodge. You know, go back to those, those that era, those two of the, you know, Patty, the late Patty Janelle, Janelle John yeah. Chapman. I mean, you know, my brother and I, we got education 101. I mean, we, we grew up in those dress rooms and probably saw a lot of things we shouldn't have <laughs> at, at that age. And it's funny when you run into, uh, you know, Kelly Kissio, who's played with the Wranglers, or Jim Cross, who scouts for the Edmonton Oilers, two members of that team. They always joke with about my brother and I and some of the things that they used to do to us and have some fun with us to rile us up. And I mean, it, it was, it was so much fun and it was, it was, you know, something that I'll never forget. And I, and I'll go even one step further Rob. I was fortunate once the Wranglers moved or not to move on, but I moved up to the flames and did the visiting teams from 1981 to 86. That was a life lesson. That was, that was me. Those are my heroes on TV and, I don't collect anything. Uh, I, I'm not a collector, yeah. but I have probably downstairs in my house here, probably 200 hockey sticks. And these are the old wooden ones before <laughs> aluminum and the one pieces. And, you know, every person who comes over to my house 
wants to look at my hockey stick collection. And I'm talking from Wayne Gretzky to Guy Lafleur to Marcel Dion, Gilbert Perot, the Sutters, Stashney, Tony Esposito. I mean, I did that from 81 to 86. And that was to me the highlight of, you know, the NHL. And I got to work the visitor's room. And I mean, I saw some things that yep. I, my eyes, I mean, I'm a young guy and I'm wide open. The battle of Alberta, the real battle, what went on in the dress room. And listen to Slats and John Muckler and you're like, you know, you're just a wide-eyed rookie, you know, and those are the things. And, 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 and a lot of it, I was fortunate because, you know, I always made a point of talking to the Western Hockey graduates, you know, the old line, you know who my dad is, you know? And, and so, you know, I got to know a lot of these players, you know, some of them I met when I was stick boy in junior hockey, and then they went on to pro. So to me, it was something that I will never forget. That's the one highlight uh, like you know, I have many highlights, but that was a, one of my memories of growing up was just from you know 81 to 86. My last game as a stick boy was when the Flames lost to Montreal in 86 in five games in the Stanley Cup final. And then I started my jaunt the next year in Spokane. But that was a lot of fun. That was, uh, you know, grew up, met a lot of people, like you said. That's really where it took off to a whole different level. I know a, a couple of years ago we were involved with the Corral series that they had been put on, kind of a celebration of the, the old building. But just... Talk about the NHL coming to that facility and, and being in that building. It's it's so foreign to us now when we're talking about event centers and facilities and things like that. But, man, it felt big league when it finally arrived, didn't it? Oh, big league. And, and, and you thought everything was big. You really did. And, you know, the biggest thing that shocked me when we went back two years ago for the Corral Series was how small everything was. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you know, and, and that was the biggest thing because – you know, in 1980, when they came here, 81, you're like, it's big, it's massive, you know, and they had to put some renovations into the building. But I looked at that visitor's dressing room or, or you know, or not the visitors, but, you know, well, yeah, both visitors and the, all of them, I was like, I thought they were huge growing up. I thought they were huge. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, Rob, I, I said this to you before, and, you know, that was one of the highlights of my three years with the Hitmen. That was one of the highlights going back to that great building. Uh, it, it's got so many memories. It's it's a classic. It's a classic, and uh, you know those are things that you know when you when you move on down the road and you say, "Geez, what are some of the highlights?" You know, yeah, you want to win championships, but some of the events and some of the people you met and saw and some of those those are things you'll never forget. It's funny we live in this this world of social distancing now, and the thing that struck me the most was how exposed the dressing rooms were. Like now, everything's on an event level. You just see the players when they come out on the ice everything was there. I mean, it was, the fans were right on top of you the whole time. You walked right out, right through. And, uh, you know, it, like, again, it's, uh, and, and I mean, not just there, when we started to play in Cranbrook, our first two years of the building, we walked right through the crowd to get into the, uh, okay. It, it, into the, and I'll go back to my first year in Spokane, the old Boone street barn. You had to walk probably 200 feet from upstairs to downstairs <laughs> yeah. to go on the ice. And I mean, you know, you talk about that now, that would never happen. No, that would never happen. And uh, so, yeah, it, again, times have changed. Right nowadays, you mean you see them, they come out, and that's it. And uh, so, you know, that, and it was a different time. Right? Oh, we, sure. We talked about earlier with sports in the city. And, yeah, you know, it, it, it was a different time, and uh, but it was a great time to grow up. Yeah, sports. Where where did you? Because there would have been no room for you on the bench. So where did you watch the game? Actually, I opened the door. That's how oh, I you were on the bench. I opened the door. And uh, I would be at the far end where the sticks were. And you see how small that bench yeah. was that the visitors used two years ago. Uh, I, it's where I would sit and I would open the gate. 
And if someone broke a stick, it wasn't, I would be, you know, now on the saddle and they're reaching behind. Yeah, and yeah. To get out. No, we do it. I would do it right there. And, oh. uh, and I used to walk across the ice with the sticks. Yeah. With the sticks. Big, big you bundle know, of I, sticks in your yeah, arm. Yeah, exactly. And in pro, they used to have two or three spares. In junior, you'd have one, of course. And you'd go across there. And uh, there's a funny story is my brother used to do it for the visiting teams in the WHL. And I think, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think it was Kelly McCrimmon who knocked his feet out of him while he was carrying the stuff out. Sticks went everywhere in a warm-up way back in the corral, you know, like I mean, the things that you, you, you wouldn't <laughs> see nowadays because you don't do that. You don't walk across the ice Jeez. with it. So, uh, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was interesting. And so, yeah, those are the, again, as a young guy growing up as a sports fan, those are memories I'll cherish. The forever. people watching had to be incredible. I mean, I, you know, I, I always remember the first game I ever watched in there. I couldn't believe the the blue haze from the smokers, right? Like <laughs> still in the facility. The people watching must have been fascinating. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you had to walk outside, you know, around the other way to go get something, mm. as you know, you know, that 79, 95 or whatever the, the attendance was, it was full. It was, it wasn't easy to get around. And uh, yeah, the, the people that, and it was, everyone wanted to be there. It was yep. a tough ticket to get, as yep. you know. And I mean, it was, uh, it was something that, you know, you, you look back and you say, how did they play there? <laughs> but again, it's no different than us. How did we play sure. at the Cranbrook Memorial Arena? How did the Kelowna Rockets play in the Kelowna Memorial Arena? Yeah. Like, just, you know, they did. Yep. And then they moved to bigger, you know, everyone's moved to bigger, newer facilities. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was there for the first Saladome game. Well, I was just going to say, Oilers. right? That must have been and, something else. And, it was really great, and I mean, it was, you know, they played the Oilers, and they came in, and, you know, you look at that, and now, you know, ever how modern that was, yeah. way back in 1983, and now it's outdated, and it's one of the oldest buildings in the NHL, and you see it yourself, Jeez, I am getting old, because I was here when it started. <laughs> that that must have been a, a fascinating contrast. Like, you, you mentioned Cranbrook and Spokane, but from an NHL standpoint, to go from the corral to that, I mean, 12,000 more seats, essentially, right? Oh, for sure. And again, it was, it took more to get around. It was, uh, you know, it was, but it was easier to get things done underneath because, you know, again, it wasn't like it is today with it, but it, it was, uh, that, that building was, it was, it was so cool. And the look yeah. of it, the, all the things that they, now their deficiencies that are effects for events and stuff that come to our building because of the roof, it is, it was like, it was cool. Mm -hmm. It was, it was Calgary. It was Calgary. And obviously with the Olympics coming down the road, it was something that, uh, you know, it, and it's seen its share of a lot of great events over the years. And that's what you want. And hopefully the new event center will be the same. Uh, it, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to go from the corral to the saddle to whatever the next one is to have those three buildings connected as they were. Right. You know, not very often would the old NHL buildings still be there for, almost 30 years or whatever it is, but, you know, that's the case here in Calgary. It's been kind of neat history to be able to reflect on. Oh, for sure it is. And again, as I said to you, I mean, it's had the Olympics. It's had the all NHL All-Star game, the number yeah. of concerts. It's been in, you know, a couple of Stanley Cups and winning one of them, and obviously not at home ice, but, you know, some of the three Stanley Cup finals. I mean, it's uh, it's a, it's it's seen a lot. I mean, it's you think about it, Rob, there's a lot of teams that never win anything. And uh, they've got new buildings or whatever. And I mean, you know, the biggest thing that I get a kick out of down there, and for me, and you, you, you is uh, thinking further on this, is all the modifications and, re and renovations they've done. Now, forget the flood yep. that came in. No, no, before that, yeah. I'm just like, 
I used to be amazed that they could get that much with all the concrete and everything to look as good as it is. You know, like yep. it, it, they, they've done an unbelievable job over time with an older building. And again, most people don't realize because they haven't been in an event level. I've always been just wowed that, you know, they've got that much and, and they don't have enough space, but they've been able to utilize it to really to maximize every nook and cranny. And I think that that is, to me is, you know, ho hopefully we don't have to go through that in, in the new facility when it opens. But that's one thing that always just was really impressed me down at that event level. And even, yeah. even up at the big level, I mean, you know, you walk around, I mean, every inch has got some advertising, everything's yep. got this, everything. Again, I know why it's that way. I think we, you and I both know, but I mean, it'll be nice not to be maybe as cluttered when we get to the new facility. Well, it's interesting listening to politicians and planners and everybody talk about, well, you know, the new building's got to be, you know, state of the art, but adaptable. It's got to... There was no thinking of being adaptable when they opened the dome. You'd love to take the original architect and the people that planned it and showed them the event, just the event level now. And what's even in my time in the last 16 years, the, the modifications, adding rooms, adding dressing rooms, putting facility. Hell, we were counting teddy bears underneath the stands this year. Like there isn't an inch of that building that doesn't get used, but you never plan for it. No, and exactly. And who would have thought all the things, like, again, over 36 years, 37 years, how everything's changed and what the requirements are, much like the Western Hockey League. So you got to have space. I mean, yeah. you know, remember there was no video board. It was just that that uh, guy went, Yahoo. That's it. You know, yep. I mean, now, you know, the video is such a big important thing of every event and so crucial. You, you again, have to have your own video spot and you know this better from being down there the biggest thing is i get a kick out of this how where do the visiting teams play their games because you know like you know they go yep. play sewer ball or whatever yeah. i mean the visiting team is the one down there that you're saying like where do they go at least you know the hitmen and the flames can go down in the far corner in that little you know exit area but i mean those are things that you laugh at and you're going this is a working area you got people on tv you got the media room where do they all go? Oh, it, uh, you know, you think of new buildings like in New Jersey, they have a full gym with basketball courts and they've got lap pools and everything like that. And then the visitor, you know, the Nashville Predators are in town and they're playing kickball right where everybody's trying to go from the media lounge to the stairs. And it, it just happens. It's 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 fascinating to me about and what's that next building going to look like? What's the you know, when we're having this conversation 30 years from now, what are we going, wow, who knew, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you you know, you're always trying to plan, you know, for down the road. Yeah. But, I mean, not, you never know what's going to happen. No, no, no. You, you, never, know what's, you never know what's truly going to happen. But, no. I, again, it's, you know, it, it'll be sad to see the sound of them go. Mm -hmm. I, I'm saying that from someone who's come to it well, for many years and then also so now works there. Th that's interesting. Would it, which is going to be harder for you not to be able to walk into? The, the corral or the saddle dome? Ooh, that's a tough question. Isn't uh, it? I, I think it'd be the saddle dome now, Rob, because really? I've been there. I've been there so long. Like, I kind of, you know, with us having that series there a couple years ago, that was kind of my corral moment. You know, like that mean for me to come home yeah. to Calgary, yeah. to work with the hitmen, to have an opportunity to go back to a building where I spent so much of my youth. It was kind of, you know, okay, it's on to the next phase. And I mean, I, I'll feel that way with the saddle dome. Like I said, I was there the first night. Yeah, I was there. I, I, I believe it or not, I was too. 
and we had pigeons, as you know, flying through the yep. whole building and all that stuff. And like any building, we had the same thing in Cranbrook with birds. And I mean, it was just little things that you, you, you look back at and you say, geez. And, and, and when you go away, like, I mean, again, I was away for 30 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was away for 30 years. So when you come back to it, even though you come to the saddle dome four times a year when you're in Kootenai or sometimes longer if you play or more if you play in the playoffs, it was always a special building always a special building and it'll be when it goes it'll be sad it yeah. will be for me it'll be you know and i i hope that uh you know i hope my fingers crossed that uh you know i'll be fortunate enough to be in the new facility down the road and uh, that'll be very rewarding as well yeah I, I it will be sad for sure but i there's something about the corral that i just it's 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 going to be tough the history in the building the pictures in the building just what that built. There's no other building really like it left around. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like it, that oh, one, oh. that one I'd like to keep just so we can take kids in there and go, this is what it used to be. Right. You know, they'll laugh at you. They'll laugh. They'll laugh, abs- at, you. They'll, they'll laugh at you. They'll I just, laugh at you. I just remember taking you know. the, the, some of the young staff over to tour before the crowd series, just to kind of show them because they'd never been in it. And you're, and you're looking at kids who are now professionals. They've gone through school and everything like that. And you're trying to explain them that, yes, they did play the, the NHL, played games in here. Like, it's, it's fantastic. Um, Sport Calgary members have access to resources such as marketing on social media, blog entries, features, and placement on the events listing. Become a member. It's easy and free. Visit sportcalgary.ca slash members. Um, you robbed the world, or, or the world got robbed, of you working on this side of the microphone. Because as I understand it, your college background, your education was in broadcast media, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I, I'll tell you how it started. Again, I was stick boy for the visiting teams, the Flames from 81 to 86. And I graduated in 1984. And, uh, you know, you're at that stage and, you're, you know, your parents are asking and you think they're pushing, but they're not, as you, as you realize that it's huge get older and see what are you going to do with your life and anyways john shannon was producing the uh, the flames broadcast back then and anyways john and i were talking or ed and he said oh geez you'd be good at broadcasting you know and again it's always different when someone other than your parents suggests that sure you know absolutely you, right yeah right and so i i uh, i thought about it i didn't know what i was going to do and uh anyways i applied at sate and i was fortunate enough to get in 1984 85 it's a two-year course. Um, it, it was, you know, and I don't, I say this all the time. I enjoyed the course. I enjoyed everything about it. Uh, Daryl Jans was one of my instructors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Wood, the, uh, the sure. C, uh, used to be CTV with the, the weather, was one of the instructors. We had some great group of instructors. Glenn Campbell, who works at CTV Sports, was a year ahead of me. So he was in the you know, second year. Yep. I know we always joke about that when we see each other. I, I didn't rob, I say this, and then you're going to say, well, you, I didn't want to live in a small town. Mm-hmm. There was two things. So after my first year, I didn't want to live in a small town, yet I lay, lived in Cranbrook for 17 years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I didn't like my broadcast personality. You know, I, I wanted to be an on-air. I wasn't a film guy. I didn't yep. want to be the camera person. And I, to this day, I have a very nasally voice. And I just, I didn't like my, again, you're young and Mm -hmm. probably people would have worked with you, but those were the two things that for me, I I just, I I didn't, I didn't think I was good. Yeah. And uh, so, and again, living in Cranbrook was the best 17 years of my life. Raised two kids in a smaller center. I wouldn't trade that for the world. 
uh, it was great. I loved living there. It was yep. time to go at the end, but I loved living in the small center. Yep. But at 20, I wasn't ready to make that decision, or 19. And so, you know, I look back and you, you kind of sometimes you wonder, did you make a mistake? I don't think I made a mistake because I got that experience. And, you know, and I have an appreciation of what the media go through. And as you know, mm-hmm. it was way different. Oh, yeah. Alone five, seven, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yep. I have a, I always had an appreciation for how hard they worked and how, how they had to get their stories. Again, there was no social media. It was a different world. And, and again, I really, I, I enjoyed it just like anything. It just wasn't for me. And in the back of my mind, as I said earlier, I've always wanted to be in hockey. Yeah, and, and that listen, that was, and, and we'll get into that, almost predestined in a way, but it is it is interesting to hear you talk and say that, you know, the small town component, because when I went, if I had a dollar, I, I you know, everybody said that. I'm not, you know, smallest market I'm going to work in is Calgary. You know, I'm going to work in you. That's the reality. But, you know, having gone through the meat grinder, I, you know, Estevan was probably in many ways the most fun and pure that I ever had in broadcasting, right? Because you're starting out and it's a small town and all that sort of thing. What you don't know, you don't know, right? Like you said, you end up in Cranbrook and it's fantastic, but not as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, right? No, and you're not you're not ready for that and you're not mature enough to handle that. And again, like, you know, I looked at, you know, broadcasting as kind of like uh, – minor league baseball, you know, single yeah. A, double A, triple A, and Calgary was always a major market. I had no grand illusions that I should start in Calgary. There was no sure. ifs, ands, or buts. But you went but to school with so some cool. kids that probably did. I did. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah probably, yeah. yeah. But I I enjoyed because anytime we'd get a new young cub reporter or cub announcer in, in Cranbrook, I used to get a kick out of them. You know, like, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you could just tell they were no different than me or most people were. Yeah, this is a stepping stone. I, you know, and I'm here because I have to be here, yep. but I'll be moving on. Yeah. And and some did. Some moved and got out of the business, but some stayed. And, and I, I, I really, that was good to see it on the other side. Working in sports, you know, we were the flames, as I said. So you got to, you know, they media were calling you. Not that we had a lot of media, but we did have a daily newspaper. We had the two radio stations. So, you know, you did, you know, you did hear from them. And so it was, it was, it was just different. It was different. But again, it was, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, sometimes you wish you, I should have finished. And, uh, you know, the ironic part is, and I'll just sidebar here, is my second year I didn't go back, but I worked in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. And I worked for a company called Oakwood Petroleums. The owner of Oakwood Petroleums at that time was a gentleman by the name of Brian Ekstrom, and he used to own the Calgary Wranglers. Right. And I had gone to school with uh, Brian's uh, daughter. And anyways, my buddy uh, had worked there the previous year and it worked in the oil and it worked in the business. And anyways, I mean, that was, you know, I'd rather, that'd be a good job. So sure. I went there. That was my summer job from, from, uh, from school. And then at the end, when I decided I wasn't going to school, I stayed on for a year. But I'll never forget the advice that Mr. Ekstrom gave me. He said, you have a one-year contract. I can't, you know, and, and I mean, saying... At the end of this next May or June, you're you're going to have a plan. You're not staying here for the rest of your life. And you know, it was you think you're making a lot of money at that time, and I was, you know, for relatively speaking, for 19 years old. But he said, no, no, and I, I without saying it, but he, he did say, you have too much to offer to be stuck here doing this. I mean, I was in the mailroom, right? I delivered right. mail, I delivered coffee, and you know what I mean. And he just said, you know, no disrespect for those people who do that. 
by any stretch. He just said, you know what, you're a young guy, you need to experience, you need a plan. And I thought it was great advice for me. And at the end of it, he said, what is your plan? And then the rest is history. I got in with Spokane Chiefs and went from there. But it was, it was some great advice. And you know what, Rob, and I tell everybody this story for what we've gone through in the last little bit in mm. Calgary. In my year of working full-time in the oil and gas industry, I saw bonuses, I saw layoffs. So for a young guy, it was an eye-opener. Sure. It was a, oh my, you don't know what to expect. And that is something that I have never forgot. I have never forgot those two things besides everything else I learned that year. You know, I saw the euphoria and I saw everything else when people were losing their jobs. And you know, what we just went through in the last month or last four months and you read about people losing jobs, you know, unfortunately I didn't lose mine, but a lot of good people and friends of mine did. And it's something I'll never forget. It was again, I, another great life lesson. So was the, the, the couple years spent, you know, in college and then in oil and gas, was that because you, you were not rejecting, but it's time to move on from hockey or was that just because there was nothing at that period of time for you in the game? Really nothing for me in the game at that time. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Right. Uh, honestly, I, I worked for the year. And again, I, like it was a great job to learn from the oil and gas industry because it's really the only time in my life I've done it. But you saw, as I said, everything went on. The price of oil up, the price of oil down. You saw a little bit of a boom. This is 1985. So it was a different era. And so it was, it was really a great learning experience. But in the back of my mind, I wanted to stay in hockey, mm -hmm. right? And again, at the end of that first year, and this is how I got my first job in Spokane, is my dad had given Bob Strum his start at the Western Hockey League office in Saskatoon. Okay. And Bob Strum went on to be a successful general manager in Regina. And uh, anyways, uh, I think Billings as well, Regina. And anyways, and got out of it. I can't remember where he was in before this, but... He had he, he he got involved with the Spokane Chiefs. Yep. And he came back to he came back to my dad and said, you know what? I told you years ago if one of the boys wanted to get involved, you know, I'd have something for him. I want to return the favor gotcha. that you gave me, Ed. And Dean was playing. Dean was playing in the Western Hockey League at that time for the Medicine Hat Tigers. So that's how I got my start. And uh, I went there in 1986-87. I was an assistant PR director to Jim Loria. A gentleman that hmm. I think is still working in the USHL, one of the smartest men I've ever met. And, and, and just like, what a great mentor. And I mean, unbelievable mentor. And Bob Strom is one of the best as well. Yeah. So that was my first year. But to be down in Spokane, I did have to go to school. So I did go to Spokane Falls Community College and took some business courses, whatever, for the year. Sure. But it was, it, it was a great, it was something that got me, it got me hooked. It got me hooked, and I mean, it was something that uh, you know, great building in American market. The only time I've you know worked in an American market, and it was it was it was you know that was the rebranding of the Chiefs, so to speak. Yep. And uh, they and it was it was a lot of fun. Were, were you in your Were you in your father's shadow? Was that ever an issue? Were you Ed's boy all the time for a while there, or how how did that legacy component work? I was for a long time. And, uh, and, and I understand that. I mean, he cast a big shadow, not only over our family, but over the entire Western Hockey League. And I think anything, Rob, and you know how it works. I mean, you might get the job because you're who yep. you know. You don't keep the job for that. You know, you get your foot in the door and you keep it open. 
And, and I think over time, you know, I, I proved, you know, I moved around mm. again, worked for Bob Strum in, in Spokane, went to Brandon and, and uh, my second year, no, excuse me, I went to Medicine Hat the second year, worked with Russ Farwell. They were coming off their back, this first Memorial Cup and they won Memorial Cup that year. You know, again, learn from some great people, moved to Brandon the third year. And the joke is Kelly McCrimmon was my boss. He was the assistant coach with the, uh, the Brandon Weekings, Doug Sauter again. There's that name, yep, Doug Sauter. Exactly. He was the head coach. Kelly would come from the Wild. No, he'd come from North Battleford prior to that, the old Wild Goose League. And Kelly was there as an assistant coach, but he was also the marketing manager for the Keystone Center because the Keystone Center ran the building, right? And ran the building and ran the hockey club. So for me, talk about learning. I learned, I tell everybody this day, I learned more in Brandon, Manitoba than I did at any other market. And that includes where I am today because we did events. Yeah. I joked, I called bingo one day. I was a bingo caller, Rob. There's a lot of pressure in being a bingo <laughs> caller. I got trouble. They said I wasn't calling them quick enough and the ball keeps coming up and they were giving it to me. I that was, that was a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure on a guy. But <laughs> I learned more for the events and not just the horse shows, but the concerts, yeah. the, the Manitoba affairs, the socials, all the things. And those were things that again, shape any young person as we go forward. And again, I, I just, it didn't, like, I mean, the problem was there wasn't enough work for both Kelly and myself. Mm -hmm. So as you know, when you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, you get bored, Yep. you know, and you got antsy and you're sitting, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're 12 hours away from Calgary and you're thinking, what am I doing? Like, I mean, when we had the events, it was game on, but there was so much downtime, you know, that, that, you know, I knew I was going to be leaving after that year. And then I went to Lethbridge. Wayne Simpson hired me in Lethbridge, spent two years there, great years, went to the league final both years. Uh, Wes Walls, you know, was yep. our big gun. Uh, Jamie McLennan was our goaltender. Uh, some of the guys, people would recognize those names. And, and again, it was, you know, it was, we were 61-7-4 and four at home in two years. That's a pretty good home record. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were, we were, unfortunately, we fell short both years to Spokane and, and Kamloops, but it was, a, again, working in a, in a community-owned team. I had mm. never been in a community-owned team. Great experience, learning to deal with that. And I'm not afraid to tell you, I didn't do it very well. Yeah. You know, I didn't enjoy someone who ran the, 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 the grocery store telling me how to be the market, the hockey team. Yep. You know, and, and, and I'll be honest, again, that was, it was a great learning experience as we all want in life. And you do that and you're saying, okay, hopefully I never go through that again. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, we moved to Red Deer, uh, Terry Simpson's granted an expansion team and uh, for Red Deer with the new building now, which is almost 30 years old, speaking of time. <laughs> and uh, anyways, wow. I was the first employee hired by the rebels Yeah. and I was a director of operations. So I set up everything from the office to the tickets, to the seats. That was a lot of fun. The dress room, everything. It, something, again, everywhere I moved, I used to joke that I had a lot of stickers on my suitcase, but I had an opportunity to go and, and, and get some more experience in different areas, areas, I should say. And that was something I would never trade for anything. And I mean, my four years in Red Deer, I say this proudly, probably the best place we ever lived. Both our children were born there. Uh, great people at that time. A little smaller than it is now yeah close enough yet far enough away you know the airport's an hour each way so but you're not central alberta and it was it was an industry that the industry yeah oil and gas and you had farming which was really the first time i'd ever had a market that had both 
you know, in Lethbridge or Medicine Hat, you're more dealing with farming. At that time, the oil and gas wasn't as prominent as it came later on. So right. again, it was it was just, it, Rob, I've been very fortunate to work with some great people, great organizations, but in different environments. And as you know, that experience is invaluable. Was there ever an opportunity, was there ever a time where you had to decide, you know, if you were going to move up to the next level, um, you know, the NHL or, or whatever, an organization like that? You know what? People ask me that all the time, and, and it's an easy answer. No. And, and I'll tell you why. I love the NHL. I have the utmost respect, yep. and I've had seen it for now firsthand for three years, and I see how hard those people work. What I enjoyed about junior hockey, Rob, is you never, like, you didn't, you weren't specialized. You could branch out mm-hmm. and do other things. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in those days, you were small. You know, you could do hockey. You could do marketing. You could do business. Now, I did all that as an owner in Kootenai, but it was always enjoyable to, you know, not get stagnant. Yep. You could do other things. And I always felt that, and again, it's not always true, but, you know, in the NHL, you're going to be specialized as this. This is your area of expertise. Well, in junior hockey, I think I got the whole gamut. And, you know, I, I've never had, uh, you know, an interest in the NHL. You know, I've spent 35 years in the Western Hockey League and uh, spent maybe not 35 more, but a few more anyways. But there is something to be said about, being happy in your own skin and where you are, right? Because you and I have both seen the climbers that that yeah, I got this job now. I got to get the next job, and and I got to go, and I got to go, and I got to go, and I got to go. And that you know, I look at your resume in that first five or six years. There's a lot. You you know you you moved a lot of furniture, um, but that's part of the gig, right? That's that's part of the lifestyle. That's what you did back then. Um, it is something to be said about being comfortable where you're at. Uh, and, and I think as you as you get older, you realize that, again, unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays don't like their jobs. Mm. You know, they they do it because they have to. And sure. You've got a family and yeah. mortgage and all the other things all comes with, you know, having a job. But I've been very fortunate. And my wife just used to say this. She To this day, it just boggles my mind, her mind, that I pop out of bed every morning and just jump to go to work. And I mean, and I'm 35 years into it. And And I always say to people. I love what I do. And I work, as I said earlier, Rob, I work with mm-hmm. great people at CSEC. And I mean that sincerely. And it just, it's, it's been the best three years of my life because it's recharged me. Because three years ago, I wasn't a positive person. I was beaten down. I'd had enough, you know, the losses, all this pressure, uh, trying to sell the hockey team. You know what? I couldn't tell you how many people that first year, geez, Jeff seems like a different person. And again, you know, there's something to be said when you, you know, they're, they're, we all want to make money, and I yeah. understand that. But there's more to life than making money. It's happiness. It's a great working environment, you know, uh, family, all the things. And, again, I've, I've been, as I've gotten this last couple of years, has really recharged but refocused and really reinforced those ideas that I always, you know, felt earlier but it maybe got away from when at the end when I was a little stressed out. What's the biggest the biggest thing that's changed in the Western Hockey League or in junior hockey since your you know your first job in Spokane to today. Do you remember the Envoy, Rob? The on what, the vehicle. You know how you know, we went from the Envoy to the Fax to where we are today. I I don't remember the Envoy. Okay, Fax, okay. I remember. Well, the Envoy used to have to do game sheets to the league, and it was a, like a little typewriter, and it was a two tone, two you know carbon thing. Yeah, and I used to joke. Like I'm joking here with the biggest change, but as you know, you've been around since there was black and white TV. Is what I'm going to really say. Yeah. No, seriously, I, you know what? 
I, I just think the improvements we've made uh, in, the, in the fan experience, uh, the player experience, and again, it's a different era. It's it's 2020, and I mean, it's so much it, it's so much different than it used to be. Yeah. You know, I used to say, you know, when I started, and I still say it, the kids were bigger, and the kids are bigger and stronger now, and better. No question about it. With the game of hockey, it's evolved, mm-hmm. but it was different back then. They might have been a little hungrier. They might have lived in a little hungrier, you know. You might have got that diamond in the rough from northern Saskatchewan or, you know, down in southern Saskatchewan that no one saw. But nowadays, there's no, you don't hide any players. No. You know, they're either at an academy or they've moved to the big city yeah. or whatever. You know, those are the things you miss. You know, geez, have we got, you know, we got your bird dog out there watching a game at minus 35 one night and, you know, geez, this guy's going to be. But now there's, you see these guys, the academies, you go to a showcase, you see all the players, all the top players in one setting, which is good. It really is. You see the best players. But, you know, the game has changed that way. Um, you know, uh, it, it's still, it's still obvious. You know, hockey's hockey. you got to score more goals than the other team to win. Right? And you've seen the phases. I've seen the phases. Yeah. You know, you've seen the trap. We've seen the open up. We've seen the obstruction. We've seen everything, you and I, in our time. But, I mean, you still got to score more goals than the other team however that may be allowed and again i like our game uh, i like uh, you know I, I do believe sometimes that you know i i say this quite frankly i think we've got too many teams yeah. you know i yeah. think you know but we're not alone we're not alone you could go through every level of hockey and there's too many teams you know sometimes i think we're too young as a, as a, mm-hmm. as a western hockey league you know, you know, when I started back as a stick boy, there were no 16-year-olds. Rarely you had 17-year-olds, you know. Yeah. And and now you could have, you know, three, four 16-year-olds, depending on your, you know, your cycle that you're in as a team. So, you know, I, I think sometimes we rush these players. That's one thing that I think as, as we all talk about sometimes that, you know, that'd be nice to not rush everybody, but we're all, we all want everything and the generation wants everything now. And, uh, you know, and much to your point earlier about, you know, everyone wants to start in Calgary on the first job. Well, everyone wants to play in the Western Hockey League at 16. Well, realistically, very few do. And, you know, and, and that's something that, you know, I, that's not a, a yes, things changed. Yeah. Younger, the game's gotten younger with it. And sometimes I, I, I don't know if that's the best for us. <clears throat> I'm wondering about, you know, somebody that's 20 years younger than I, you and I, 25 years younger and they're coming through, are they going to still have the same romantic, um, you know, memories of the league? Will there still be the characters in the league? Will there still be the stories of the league? You know, it, it, I, I, there, there had to be improvements. There had to be there's societal issues that changed. But I just wonder sometimes if, if it's still as much fun as, it, it, as, it, as we remember it being. You know what? That's a great question because I don't think there will. I, I don't think, you know, you, you look at the game and some of the characters that you and I have seen in our time in this in this great game of ours, and not only just at our level, but at the NHL level. NHL level. Sure. Now, it's almost like, and I don't know if that's a negative of social media that no one wants to let their guard down and, you know, and, and, and kind of come out of their shell because I don't know. Exactly, I yeah. Really answer. yeah. But, I mean, you, you look at torts you know, in Columbus. And I mean, he's got personality, he's got spunk and whatever, but I mean, you know, most, most people in the NHL in those positions are very guarded, you know, very guarded. And, you know, you look back and, 
and I, and I, I can tell this story. <laughs> you talk about game being changed. I was, you made me think about Ernie McLean. Mm -hmm. And in my first year in the league in 86, 87, Ernie's back and he's coaching and uh, uh, they're playing. In, and that was the first year the Western Hockey League had no interdivision. So we played New Westminster, I think, 10 times, maybe 12. It doesn't matter. Oof. But they were double headers. Double headers. No Tri-Cities back then, right? So one night, this is a true story. It's almost like Spokane and, you know, Bob Strom and Ernie talk. Well, we need a little bit of a line brawl on the Friday night to get more people in on Saturday night. Well, no, lo and behold, Saturday night was Spokane Chiefs hockey still is. And I remember Bob Strum and Ernie talking in the new Westminster little area. Well, this is good. It was good last night. You know, we'll be able to delay the start 15, 20 minutes. The people in the game, <laughs> you know, if you, you talk about characters, yeah. that never happened, nor should it, nor should it, nor should it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember a story as a young guy going, oh, that's how you sell tickets. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, but I, I, you're, you're right on the characters. I mean, you know, there was a poll one year about three years ago, Sportsnet that who's got like, who's somebody in the league that, you know, has lots of character, like management. And I'm, I had trouble putting someone down. Like, I, I don't mean that in a negative. No, just, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a CHL poll and it wasn't just hockey. They were looking for some different things and I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anybody. No, but maybe the next, but maybe the next generation will will marvel at their professionalism or their, you know, their intelligence or you, you know what I mean. It's just it's an evolution thing. I, it's just when you know when we have these conversations and we can talk about Punch McLean and we can talk about the corral and we can talk about you know the fun that used to be our perception of fun. I'm just wondering what the next generation is going to remember and and you know kind of build upon. Okay, the biggest thing is, will they remember? Will they remember? You know, and, and what I mean by that is they live in today's generation, and you have young kids, mm. and so do I. They live in the moment. They live in the moment. Yeah. And I mean, where you and I might be, we might be old school in a lot of ways, not just because of our age. We're historians. We're sports historians. And you it's and I have many point. conversations about that. Yeah. And I love, I you tell stories to young kids sometimes now, and they give me that blank stare. And they're not like they're five or six or seven years old. These are 20 to 25-year-olds. Yeah. And they're like, that, that happened? No. You know? Yeah. Like they don't even know what you're talking That's about. That's a good point. Like I used, I, I, I'll be honest, and I say this. Western Hockley renamed the Western Hockley Championship after my dad in mm. 2007. And I think some of our players, not the year we won it, because they knew that for sure. But as we got on near in Cranbrook, I'll bet you a lot of them had no idea who that guy's name was on the trophy and if he was even related to their general manager in Kootenai. I'm being honest. I am being honest. Like, yeah. I would talk to parents. Yeah. I would talk to parents, you know, and whatever, and I and they would say, geez, you have a hockey background? I said, yeah. My, you know, my family's been involved. My brother's played. My dad was management. You know, he's, he, he, like, they have no idea. And they're in the business. Yeah. They're in the business. So I go back to that point. I think today's generation is, you know, like, they are solely – like they're focused, they're very driven, but they're focused. And I don't think they think back some of the things that you and I think back and how important that is in, in, in creating the game and the characters and everything about it makes our game so great. I don't think they have the same interest. You just mentioned your dad again and, and the legacy part. Um, and we talked about this before, you know, were you Ed's boy and, and the influence that he had on you? Um, or, or where do you put your experiences and his experiences? Were you ever, were you ever, did you ever think that you were also going to one day end up being the commissioner or anything like that? 
No, I, and I have no interest in that, oh, okay. I'll be honest. Again, I wanted to be the manager. Uh, I wanted to, you know, Rob, I love building hockey teams or trying to build hockey gotcha. teams and, you know, and, and successful. You know, I, I, I'm, and, and you've known me now for three mm-hmm. years here, not politically correct sometimes, meaning I, I don't play the political game. I'm Sometimes maybe I speak, I'm outspoken, so I'm not, don't have that, you know, that game. Yep. Ed could play that game. Ed was he was the master at it, and he could you know and 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 he had a, an unbelievable patience level to deal with it and to do things. I both you know Dean and I have talked many times over the years. You know that's that's a unique Ed had a unique gift, and I'm not saying that because he was my dad because I've had many people in all walks of life tell me that, and I I knew it as well. Sure, he could he could do that. I, I didn't I didn't have that, and and you know that's not a shot at my brother or myself. That's just Ed. That was something that he had. But I love the fact, you know, for me to build a hockey team. My brother wanted to be a coach, and he's been a successful coach. I wanted to be an administrator and learn all walks of life with ultimately becoming a general manager, and our family eventually became owners. But it was it, that for me was that that was my biggest thing is to build, you know, and again, because I want to win championships. I always said numerous times throughout this, I want to win, and I want to win again. So two more for you, and you might have just added the net. So now what drives you? What you mentioned about how you love to get up out of bed every day and go to work. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about the, well, I guess we all have to worry about the bottom line, but you're really responsible for on ice, right? What drives you? What what gets you going every morning? Well, I, I want to back up. I want the first part. The bottom line still bothers me. I pay attention to that. Okay. And I mean, and one thing, Rob, that I, I used to say is I I don't change because Calgary is a bigger market than Cootie. And and it's funny, with some of the cuts that have gone on in the league, I've told some guys, you know, other general managers and owners in the league, I said, who knew that the Cootie model was the new way of doing business in Western Hockey with this <laughs> pandemic? But I, I is, one thing is, you know, and, and Mike uses it all the time, you and I, spend it like it's yours. Yeah. Well, I've always done that. I've always sure. done that. And so to me, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that just because I'm in a bigger market, I, that's just not the way I was raised for so long. Right. You know, needs and wants, needs and wants. And, and so, you know, that's the biggest thing. And uh, you got to tell me the second part of the question, because I got off on that. Well, no, I mean, what, okay. You know, but that's okay. Like, I, I appreciate the fact that you, you're aware of that and everything, but it's, it's not what gets you up in the morning. Right. No, no, exactly. It doesn't. I mean, you know, again, it's, 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 you know what, it's seeing the kids, it's seeing the kids. And I yep. mean, you know, we've talked in the last few months, not having Mark Kaslick or, or Kyle Olson or Dakota Krebs to have a chance to win a championship this year just tore my heart out. Mm-hmm. And then no different than the other 21 teams with their 320 year olds. Sure. Right. But we grew with this group. We traded for these, a lot of these kids, not Mark or whatever, but we traded and had an opportunity and, and, and that, you know, that was something that, you know, we were looking forward to. That's why we made all the trades a few years ago. And, and, and so you, you want to get back there. And Rob, I say this to people, and it's not trying to be an arrogant statement, but until you've won a championship, you don't know what that feeling means. There's oh, absolutely. nothing better. And in junior hockey, it's the toughest one to go. And not just the, when you get to the Memorial Cup. But I mean, you know, the four rounds and, you know, the travel, you know, and you're not playing, you know, you're usually playing almost every night yep. and there's not, you know, it's not on a TV schedule and you're going back and forth. And I, I think that that's something that is 
Like it, it fuels you. It fuels you. Like I love being on the bus. People think I'm crazy. I love being on the bus. With <laughs> no, the I, I get you know, it. Because, because it also it allows me to get to know the players and see the players in a different light. Because in our building, much that we talked about the event level yep. earlier in this podcast, you don't see them as much. Well, now you see them and you see their personalities and see them in the hotel room and when we do our team building activities. And I, I, I just enjoy that. And I just, I, again, it's the on ice success, but it's also having that young guy who then leaves and you know comes back a few years later and says, "Thank you for everything." Right. And that's like that's hits you in the chest, and that's like a proud papa moment. And so, but again, bottom line, want to win, want to win. And, uh, you know, I'd like to win sooner rather than later. But as you know, it's with 60 teams, it's, it's tough to win. It is. All right. My last question, I ask it to everybody. No parameters. I'm going to ask it to you. You just give me the answer any way you feel. Uh, Jeff, you know, give me your hidden Calgary gem. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. Hidden Calgary gem. Oh. Give me anything. 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 Oh, right. There's a Vietnamese restaurant down in Chinatown that is, uh, and again, now I don't know the name, I just know where it goes, is something that when we moved back here is a hidden gem. My brother-in-law told me about it, and it is a treat, and it is something that we absolutely love. Okay. Well, people can seek that out. Uh, I appreciate this. Always good, my friend. Uh, it was nice to have this chat. More than anything, to make it official. A lot of this I've heard before, and I appreciate it. But it was nice to get it on tape. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. As I said to you the other day, you must have been a little slight on uh, guests today. And I appreciate you lowering the level to allow me to yeah. and, you know, chat with you. But I always enjoy our conversations. I, I, always, I, I think about Rob, and you'll remember this. You know, I got hired and you were doing the morning show and yep. uh, I started in August and you said you're the only live guest I've ever had at 6 a.m. in the morning. Yep. And I think it was you and Will Nault and we did yep. it for an hour. And, I'll, you know, I'll never forget that. It was, you know, a few things that week that I, because I moved to the big city and, sure. you know what, you were my first radio interview and we go back and now we're working together and uh, couldn't be happier about that. It's, uh, you know, we're a team, as you know, we've got a good group. Thanks to Jeff, the general manager of the Calgary Hitman, a guy I get to work with every day. Um, but a great story. Uh, there's that broadcasting thing with general managers again. We we kind of tied that knot up with, well, media people and Mike Board and the Calgary Roughnecks. But uh, interesting uh, to hear Jeff talk about it and his passion and his love of major junior hockey, uh, the Western Hockey League. I think that goes uh, deep into that conversation, plus uh, a guy who spent a lot of time in and around the Calgary hockey scene. So thanks to Jeff for joining us. Thanks to you for joining us. We'll be back with another podcast. It's the original Six Feet Conversation podcast here at Sport Calgary.